Please open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. We're going to be in Romans chapter 8. And as you turn there, I'd like to give you a brief background on this letter. You know, a man once said, if, if Holy Scripture were a ring, Romans, on that ring, Romans would be a, a precious stone. And Romans chapter 8 would be the sparkling point of that jewel. So my, my friend Brian, uh, he's a pastor, and we used to get together and we would have uh, coffee and just talk about ministry, the, the good, the bad, and the ugly, a little Western reference for you. But uh, So basically, uh, he would say, man, I'm so glad that for every Romans chapter 6 and every Romans chapter 7, that there is Romans chapter 8. So this was a letter written by the Apostle Paul, as stated in chapter 1, verse 1. And it was written around 55 to 57 AD. And if you want to have a solid foundation for your theology, you ought to study this letter. To me, this is, this is Paul's grand theological masterpiece. It, almost, it doesn't get much better than this. And Paul, he, he wrote this letter to the church in Rome before his visit to Greece. Rome was the capital and most important city of the Roman Empire, founded in 753 B.C., but it's not mentioned in Scripture until the New Testament times. John MacArthur stated that that Paul's purpose in writing Romans was to teach the great truths of the gospel of grace to believers who had never received apostolic instruction. The letter also introduced him to a church where he was personally unknown, but Hope to visit soon for several important reasons. These reasons include to edify the believers, to preach the gospel, and to get to know the Roman Christians so they could encourage him, pray for him, and help him with his planned ministry in Spain. And unlike some of Paul's other epistles, I mean, First and Second Corinthians is pretty brutal, uh, his, his purpose for writing was it wasn't to correct uh, heretical teaching and theology or rebuke ungodly living. The, the Roman church was doctrinally sound, but, but like all churches, it was in need of the rich doctrinal uh, and practical instruction that this letter provides. So if you have your Bibles and you're over at Romans chapter 8, just look across the page and we're going to start uh, to get a little context in Romans chapter 7. So in Romans chapter 7, if you'll look over, we're going to be in verse 14 to 25 to start. And I'm just going to read to you the passage. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very things I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law. That it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, 
But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. We see here that For the believer, there's a duality. It sometimes feels like we're living a double life. We see in the scriptures we are to be holy, yet we don't carry it out perfectly. And it's so frustrating. We all have a Romans chapter 7 problem every single day. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is the Christian's dilemma. This is not for those who do not believe, because... For those who do not believe, ignorance is bliss. You can just do whatever you want. Uh, Who cares? But for the believer, the believer, you you have um, obedience and we don't carry it out perfectly. Yet for those that that don't believe, there's still a a sense of right and wrong, which where do do your morals come from? Why, Why do they have any sense of right and wrong. It's because God has written the law on their heart. And God is still, to this day, we think the world's bad, but He's still restraining evil through the church and through the power of the Holy Spirit and the law being written on people's hearts. Yet, if, if there is no God and everything's just subjective and it's all the atheist worldview of everything's just by an accident... Shouldn't then our mindset just be survival of the fittest? Okay, so if someone dies, then why are people sad? Shouldn't it just be, well, it's just one less mouth to feed, right? Yet the difference between mourning, between a non-believer and a believer is so much different. The mourning for those without hope is bitter tears, which makes sense because it's lights out, game over, no hope, no light at the end of the tunnel. And if we're here simply due to an accident, then why even care? Why is there a sense of right and wrong? I was told, well, it, we, we naturally are actually good. Uh, you know, you look at animals, they take care of the young. Okay, then my response back to that is, what do you tell the alligator who just ate its eggs? Okay, most people think that they are naturally good. They think that they're so good that, you know, if I, I can get to heaven, if I have the scale... And on one side, I do more good than I do bad. Then, I I mean, I might have a shot. Maybe. I might have a shot at making it. And uh, some people even think this so badly depraved that they think that there's there's not, not even a thing as sin. There's no such thing as sin. So someone asked R.C. Sproul a question. How do I explain sin to an unbeliever if he believes that there's no such thing as sin? Therefore, if there's no such thing as sin, then I have no need of a savior and I have no need of God. How do I explain sin? And R.C. Sproul responded, why don't you steal his wallet? He will he will confess that he's been sinned against pretty quickly. So whoever denies sin is being willfully ignorant and only expresses wrongdoing when it expresses his or her own narrative. Man, based off the scriptures, man is not naturally good. And people say, well, that's not true. We're not born sinful. 
We're, we're, there's no way. We're, we're not depraved. No. We're good. And my question back to that is, you know what the main word that kindergartners use? Mine. That's, that's mine. Or they say, no. No. Obey your mother. No. It's mine or no. And it, it was a joy of mine to be able to visit my, my nephew the other day. And, you know, just you love, most people, they love babies. But there's a reason if, if you whine and grumble and complain all the time, you could call the baby. That, that, there's a reason for that. Uh, and, and babies, they're, they're so precious and cute. Yet, in, the, in a snap, in the blink of an eye, they can produce the rage of a thousand men. They can, they can just explode with fury. And I was told once, you better be glad that babies are the size that they are. Because if not, they would kill you. And so every time I, a baby's crying, I thank God that they're not the size of Ray Lewis. Because oh, it, it, it would be a tough time. Um, so the truth is that man is born as a wretch. Man is born as a sin. Uh, a sinful being. We have this sin nature, generation and generation and generation, dating back to Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3 with the fall. A few friends of mine, whenever they're describing something, they'll say, uh, <laughs> they go, oh yeah, man, that was, it was pretty wretched. It was pretty wretched every time they describe something that's sinful. So man is a wretch. I am a wretch. You, respectfully, are a wretch. And the definition of wretch is miserable. Paul even said, what a miserable man that I am. And in Revelation 3.17, Jesus said, for you say I am rich. I say I have, or I have prospered. And then you say I, I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. So how can a man profess to believe in Jesus, to believe in the Savior, if he has no understanding as to why Jesus is Savior, why he needs a Savior, and what he's being saved from? If someone knows the cure for cancer and it's not applied, you just say there's the cure and it's not applied, you still have cancer. And it's not, you're not going to be healed. If you have a terminal illness and you don't apply the cure, you're, gonna, you're just going to die. And so how can you be saved if you have no idea what you're being saved from? Paul Washer, he stated, Fish do not know they are wet, and neither do men know they are sinning against the holy God. And so think about unbelievers you know. Think about them. Think about what they view about God and what they view about life and their attitudes toward the world and the solutions that are man-made for an eternal problem that are completely and utterly false. And how they live their lives in complete darkness, drunkenness, sexual immorality, coveting, lying, gossiping, greed, etc. It's sad. Their lives are in complete darkness. And they don't care about who God is. There's no care about eternal things. There's no care. They can say they care about others, but in real, reality, they just want to help people to see what they get out of it. There's no um, humility. So now I want to ask, since 
we're all wretches or wretched, maybe. Um, does a Christian sin? Does a Christian sin? Yes. Can a Christian fall into grievous sin at times? Yes. But what do we see? What, what's the difference between a believer and a non-believer, a converted believer and the, the not converted? So the unconverted. The Christian's mind has been renewed. The born again's understanding of God is completely different from that of an unbeliever. The believer and unbeliever's opinion of God's nature is completely different. Their opinions on right and wrong are completely different. Their opinions on sin is completely different. In this Christian, you would not see perfection. You would not see complete holiness. You would not see complete perfect conformity to the law of God or the nature of God. But you would see someone who recognized his need of the Savior. You would recognize you would see someone who recognized the truth of God's will, someone who recognized the truth of God's character and would desire to be conformed to that. And when they sin and when they mess up, they mourn. They mourn. So for you this morning, is there any hunger for righteousness? Is there any mourning of your sin? Is there any hatred for your sin? Is there any sadness and sorrow that the innocent Lamb of God, who was without sin, was slain to pay for your sins? Buddy Bachman, I believe, said, you better thank God that he didn't kill you in your sleep because of your sin. This is serious, a serious issue. So be encouraged if the Holy Spirit has convicted your heart. And there is a mourning of your sin. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. So there is a difference between a false convert and a born-again believer. And so what usually proves it is, how are your roots? How are your roots? Are they deep or do they get snatched up and burned? If there's a, a t- an intense amount of heat on it, does it remain? Jared and I, we were talking about how plants grow. And uh, uh, my wife, she, she loves to plant things as well. But So how do plants grow? They need manure. They need dung to grow. They need fertilizer. So, And I'm not saying that you need manure. But what I'm saying is you need the, that fertilizing time in your life. And so what does that fertilizing time in your life look like? Okay, so those things come in the form of trials. They test to see what's there. I love the, um, the story. I think it's by, I don't know if it's by Spurgeon. Everything is by Spurgeon at this point. But uh, I don't remember who said it, but they, they talked about a diamond. And so with a diamond, to find the diamond from the coal, you need to put it through intense pressure. And either it crushes and turns to dust or out of the pressure, you see the diamond. Okay, Um, And uh, so there are different times of fertilizing in your life. And so um, that usually comes in the form of trials, whether it be an illness, whether it be loss, 
financial struggles, um, intense suffering, whatever that may be. And so a lot of people think, well, why trials? Why do I go through intense suffering? Which truly that can be answered with, well, the whole creation has been broken ever since the fall. Man is depraved. And we see all the brokenness that broke the creation too. That's why we see tragic storms, hurricanes, wildfires, uh, tsunamis, you name it, whatever that may be. But there are some reasons that uh, trials happen. And some of these reasons <laughs> include, uh, John MacArthur, he said, there's, there's seven reasons why suffering. Okay, Number one, the suffering and the trials come to test the strength of our faith. Number two, they humble us. Number three, the Lord is weaning us from earthly things, so we keep Him at the forefront. Trials call us to heavenly hope, to reveal what we really love, to help others in their trials. And God does ultimately what brings Him glory. So the false convert comes along, and this is where prosperity gospel gets absolutely destroyed. Because prosperity gospel would say, oh, if you obey, then you're going to be blessed 10 times because you have obeyed and you have gave. So you're going to get blessed 10 times the amount of that. When in reality, then why does suffering, why does suffering happen to believe in Christians or people that would, you would consider to be good? Granted, there are no good people uh, at the heart because everyone is depraved and fallen short of the glory of God. And you just want to just read Job. OK, if, if you believe in prosperity gospel, go read Job, the guy who went through intense suffering. OK, an intense trial. The false convert is scorched up by the trials and there was never salvation to begin with. That is why it's so important that you know what you believe based off the scriptures, that you don't make a God of your imagination or that you want God to be, that you conform God to what you think God is, but that you believe who God really is based off his word, based off the scriptures. And we need the scriptures so that we have the full armor of God to be equipped so that during the trials, during the pain, that we have the shield of faith to deflect the arrows that are sent by the enemy, arrows of doubt, arrows um, of lies and we wield the sword of the spirit which is the word of God and being informed by the word of God we are better equipped to stand firm and I want you to be encouraged that the son of man the son of man has defeated the serpent and crushed his head as stated in Genesis three fifteen. we get the victory for those who are in Christ we win I want you to be encouraged with that Ray Comfort said, if severe persecution fell upon the contemporary church, the effect would be, first, it would purify the church. It would rid the church of complainers and those who caused division. And so I'm going to pause here real quick, okay? I cannot tell you all this enough. If it is heresy being preached, you need to stand firm and fight for the truth. It must be biblical. But if it's something small, I can't tell you like how many times if you get on Twitter, for example, and you see Christians bashing other Christians because of the non-essentials, whether it's eschatology or talking about 
baptizing babies or whatever that may be, people are at the point where they're saying, you're not even saved. And they just start going off on each other. And people see that, okay? Um, And they die on these weird hills. Or um, there are other things that that cause division in the church. Things that that are really, they're, they're not eternally important. Like the color of the carpet. Maybe the order of the service. Maybe the style of the music. Maybe we don't, we don't, you know, give you the consumeristic product that you're looking for. And maybe we don't tickle your ears enough. Or maybe, uh, maybe it's the clothes that someone's wearing. They're not dressed enough like a saint. Or maybe they, the, the stained glass windows aren't, they're not shined enough. Or, or, or maybe it's whatever about the building. The church is not the building. That's why I loved when we gathered together last week. It was in a different location. The church is the body of Christ, the believers, the brothers and sisters. It's not confined to a building. Granted, I'm thankful for the people that do manage and take care of of the building. I would have no idea. Um, And it was great to just gather in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so if if you want to be petty about consumeristic things and things that have no eternal value and cause a bunch of division, uh... I I need you to think, to think real hard about this. Think about the believers who are in persecution, who are under heavy persecution in the Middle East, in India, in China. Human depravity and hatred of God is running rampant. And yet those believers are still meeting together out of love for Christ and out of love for each other. And they're doing this all the while. You look in the background. In in the building, you see the steeple just on fire. And then it collapses from the heat. Blown to nothing. And people would think, well, that church is dead. Was anybody harmed? If it's just the building, the church is still alive. But secondly, and more importantly... The persecution would reveal to the stony ground here, the false convert, the error of his or her ways. Now, am I saying that a genuine convert never sins? Of course not. Every Christian has a battle with the world, the flesh, and Satan. And sometimes he falls into sin. But that's the point here, okay? The born-again believer falls into sin, while the hypocrite, the false convert, dives into sin, blatantly dives into sin with no repentance. The Christian sins against his will, but the false convert makes provision for the flesh. So if you've ever waken up and said, you know, it's Monday, today I'll sin, then you're making provision for the flesh And you must examine yourself if your faith is real. 2 Corinthians 13.5 Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves or do you not realize this about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you fail to meet the test. This is why it's so important. Like Even if we are participating in in a sacrament like communion, before you take the bread and the wine or juice, you must examine yourself. You need to think about what does this represent? It's a gospel presentation. Do you believe and understand why you're doing what you're doing? 
Do you understand why you're here today? Do you understand um, why even pray or why read my Bible? So there's a difference. A Christian falls. The, the unregenerated dives. That's the difference between the true and the false, the believer and non-believer, life and death, heaven and hell. Jonathan Edwards, he said, the true convert seems himself to be a poor, empty, helpless creature, and that he still stands in continual need of God's help every day. He is sensible that without God, he can do nothing. Without God, we cannot do anything. Due to our wretched state, how are we saved? Is it by good works? Is it by keeping the balance of I've done so much good compared to the evil in my life? So I'm, I'm, I think I'm like 75% saved. Is it by a prayer that you said years and years and years and years ago that, okay, that's, that's why I saved myself and when I saved myself? Is it by proper church attendance that you went for an entire year? Is it by the amount of service that you've done in your life? Let me remind you and encourage you as to why you are saved. It is by grace alone, as stated in Ephesians 2 verse 8, through faith. You are justified by faith alone, which is found in Romans 5.1, due to Christ alone. 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who knew no sin to become sin so that in him, in Christ, we become the righteousness of God. In Christ, okay? It's due to the gospel alone that we're saved. It's Christ hold on you. And your responsibility is to rest and trust in his hold on you. And to share that grace and to share the true gospel with other people. And so due to the gospel, the good news, how can we have joy, especially when we see the world the way it is, especially when you are struggling against your flesh, or maybe it's someone else's sin that's giving you a hard time. How can we have joy? How and why? Um, now if you're looking at your Bibles to Romans chapter 8, and we're going to look at verse 1 through 11, if you'll read with me. There is therefore now... I want you to look at that. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son and the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh 
cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of God does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So what have we been set free from? The law. Why? Why have we been set free from the law? Verse 2 says, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ from the law of sin and death. You have been freed from sin and death. Who the Son sets free is free indeed. Oh, granted, how wretched, <laughs> how wretched we are. Yet, by the saving grace of God through Christ Jesus, we can continue to have joy and to press on looking to Christ as the author and perfecter and finisher of our faith as mentioned in Hebrews 12. If you are in Christ, notice it didn't say tomorrow, yesterday, maybe a day in the future, not after you get your life together, you get your checkbook balance, not when you have a perfect understanding of all of Scripture, which will take more than a lifetime, not when you, you pray enough so then you earn enough credit, not when you attend church for, for a whole year, then maybe you have a chance, not when you buy nice enough clothes to fit in, but right now, it says right now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So how do you know if you are in Christ? Let's ask some questions. Do you have faith? Do you trust in the biblical Christ? Do you believe that Jesus is God, that he is the word, the eternal word, as stated in John verse one, that um, he is God in the flesh, the sinless Savior who died for the sin of the world and three days later rose again. Have you been born again? Are you a new creature? Has your faith remained through the struggles and through the trials and through the heat and the testing of it were, were the roots still deeply in the soil? Or was it scorched by the sun? Did the trials strengthen what you believe and why you believe it? Do you acknowledge that you have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and that you have sinned against the holy God and you desire to repent, that you desire to turn from sin? Is there any desire to follow Christ? Is there any desire to share Christ with others? Is there any fruit of the Spirit in your life? Is there any biblical love? Is there any joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? These are just some questions that we all can use to examine ourselves. Yet the believer who believes, even though that he acknowledges he's a sinner, 
but believes it's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and that the tomb is empty. We have hope. There's a difference. You, I love the song, Blessed Assurance, because we have blessed assurance. We have hope compared to where the unbeliever, when someone dies, it's lights out, that's it, no hope, darkness. Even during intense struggle, we have an eternal perspective. There is light. There is victory. And it's found in Christ. Um, And so you can rest assured that Christ is keeping you. That he has his, that he, you are secured in him. And now we look at verse three. Verse three is simple. Okay. We missed the mark. We have sinned. We have not fulfilled the law. It is holy and we are not. The law shows us our need of saving due to our sin nature. And Jesus, he took care of that. All the justice that that God poured out on sin, all the wrath, Jesus took that. Romans 5, 18 to 21 says, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, that being Adam, One act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience, Adam's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man, Christ's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass. (laughs) But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more so that as sin reigned in death, Grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus is without sin, yet he was tempted like us in every way. Yet he was without sin. He was without the sin nature that we all have because he was conceived by the Holy Spirit in a virgin. And he was the ultimate sin offering that was without blemish, which was commanded of sin offerings in Leviticus 4 verse 3. God would not be holy if he did not deal with the sin problem. This is why I get so upset when churches, they they just act oblivious to sin and eternal punishment, hell, God's holiness, God's justice, and God's wrath. God is holy, but the the beauty of the gospel, it makes grace all that much more sweet and beautiful to you when you realize how much grace that God has given us. So God's wrath and justice was poured out on Christ to take care of the sin problem. Therefore, we're forgiven. Therefore, Whoever believes and repents is saved. (laughs) And we've been given grace upon grace. Whoever is not in Christ, the unrepentant sinner. This is why it's so important that we share the truth with others. The true biblical gospel. Because the unrepentant sinner is condemned and will receive the payment and have to give an account For their sins, and they will pay for their sins forever. Death, hell, separation from God forever. I was having a conversation with some friends yesterday. And you will get what you want, ultimately. 
If you desire to be forgiven and you desire to be with Christ forever, then praise be to God. But if you desire to be away from Him, you will be. So let's look at verses 4 through 11. We're going to break it down into two different sections. Section 1 is walking according to the flesh. Walking according to the flesh. So what is that? It's to set your mind on the things of flesh. Well, what, what does that even mean? It's sin. What is sin? It's transgression against God. Complete, blatant sin which leads to death because the wages of sin or the payment for sin is death. So if your mind is set on the flesh, you are hostile to God and you cannot please God. You do not belong to God if you have not been born again. This is the Romans 1 mentality. When you sear your conscience, when you love your sin more than you love Christ, when you don't care, that's, the, that's scary, okay? And not only that, but, they, but you get to a point where you, you love your sin so much that you want others to approve and affirm your sin compared to turning from the very thing that the Savior died for. And you create this false God in your own image and you value your own opinions, which that is, that's scary. You, you think that you are smarter than God and your version of right and wrong is better than his. That's, that's, that's scary. And so you claim to be wise, yet you become a fool while exchanging the truth for a lie. You know, I can think about times in my life, too, when I was uh, specifically in high school where I was practicing sin. I was doing something that was bad. And unfortunately, I didn't just do that thing by myself. I got a, a fellow basketball player who was on my team. Hey, buddy, why don't you, this stuff's pretty good. Why don't, you, why don't you indulge with me for a little bit? And I still regret it to this day that I, I caused him to do something that I knew was wrong. And I wanted him to see how good it was. You make others affirm the lies, which is so dangerous because you drag someone down with you. So we are not to walk and to set our mind on the things of the flesh. Now we're going to get to section two. <laughs> section two, walking according to the spirit. What's that mean? Setting your mind on the things of the Holy Spirit. And so to set the mind on the Spirit, as based off the scripture we just read, is life and peace. Believers are in the Spirit because the Holy Spirit is who brought regeneration to your heart when you believed. The Holy Spirit brought the living water. Ezekiel 36, 26 God says, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and, and give you um, a heart of flesh. And so the born again believer is saved. And when you're saved, when you are born again, when you believe and have trusted in the true gospel, you have the Holy Spirit of the living God living in you. You know, I think we don't really think about that that much. I think we just kind of take it for granted. Eh, I believe, yeah, that's fine. We don't, really, <laughs> we don't really think about how amazing that is. 
How amazing that the same power that rose Jesus from the grave lives in every single believer that's been born again that trusts in Christ. That's amazing. And so the Spirit is in you. Which is why if you do anything righteous, if there's any sanctification, if there's any obedience, you don't go around and start boasting to someone saying, look how good I am. And patting yourself on the back. And you're letting the left hand know what the right hand is doing. You make it all about yourself. So having a funny conversation with Mark Frew. We we're talking about how some pastors are like, it's not about me. It's not about me. Yet you see them on a zip line flying down to the stage when they, when they say it's not about them. It's not about us. So if we have any boasting, we are to boast in the Lord and praise God for helping you in your walk. So the same power that rose Jesus from the grave will also raise you from the grave. 1 Corinthians 15, 55 to 57. We have victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise Jesus that we can look to the cross and know that he took the punishment. He took the debt that we owed and the death that we owed. And it's the most unfair trade in the history of humanity. Okay. We gave him our sin. He imputes to us his righteousness so we can stand before God confidently and know I'm saved because the man on the middle cross said I could come. That's it. Only because of Christ. That's it. Chuck Smendall, he said, believers have the Holy Spirit living within us, giving us the power to walk, not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit of the living God, he who is free is free indeed because of Christ. And we can walk according to the spirit of the living God as people who have been made right with God. And we have his Holy Spirit within us. We will continue in life just as God didn't forget Jesus, but reached down into the tomb and raised him miraculously from the dead. So will he do for us. When we pass from this life into death, you go to real life after death. The spirit of life in us ensures that there will be a resurrection. We are a people that have the hope at the end of the tunnel. We are a people that have an eternal perspective. Therefore, through those trials, you can rejoice knowing your Savior lives and we have victory. So if you're in Christ... You are guaranteed a bodily resurrection. Okay? You are guaranteed a perfect, glorified body. What a joy that is to everyone. You know, I think about the guy that has, oh, my knees hurt a little bit. I hurt it in college or whatever, hurt it in my knee or whatever that may be. But think about the joy that is for someone that's blind, that's never seen. Think about someone who's never heard anything that's deaf, paralyzed, crippled etc. You get to look forward to a new body. Isn't the grace of God amazing? The term Christian in the beginning, it was actually a slur. 
It was actually a slur of those who were of, they called it the way, a.k.a. the, the followers of Jesus. Alistair Begg, he shared this story, and if I get emotional, I apologize because this story always, I don't know why, but it, I was listening to it in the car, uh, and I just found myself weeping behind the wheel. <laughs> but uh, he shared this story of his friend, and his friend's name is, he's a pastor, I think he said he was from Scotland, His name is Eric Alexander, and this is the story of how Eric Alexander met his wife. So Eric, he was at a conference and speaking, and eventually afterwards, three young ladies, they wanted to go play tennis. Wanted to go play tennis, so he took up the offer. And he said, when I was walking back from the tennis courts, one of the ladies in particular, she was walking alongside me. And I asked her, like I do most people, I would ask, so, um, when did you come to faith in Christ? And she said to me, I have been in Christ since X. He said it struck him forcibly because he had met no one ever who had responded to him that way. And she was correct. She was in Christ. That was it. Not that she'd done this or that or whatever that may be. But but by the grace of God, I have been enclosed with him. Matter of fact, when Eric's wife passed away, he preached at her funeral. <laughs> I don't know if I could do that, um, but he described his wife. He described his wife who he met in Christ, who went on to live for Christ. And now he said at her funeral that. He said that she is now presently with Christ. In Christ, for Christ, with Christ. For the born-again believer, you are in Christ. How is your for Christ going? 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul said, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Colossians 1.27, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, are we to take advantage of the grace that we have been given? By no means. Paul said in Romans 12.1-2, Because of the grace and the mercy of God, he said, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, By the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Romans 3, 30-31 says, Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith, and the uncircumcised through faith, do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. We, we obey. We follow Him. We die to ourselves. Um, you know, there's, there's a huge problem at times of Christians not knowing what they believe in and why based off the scriptures. And a lot of times is we just got our priorities wrong. Instead of spending time in the book, 
and something that's real, we would much rather just, and I'm not knocking the NFL or entertainment or whatever that may be, because I think it is good and healthy to have leisure, but we think, oh, I'll, you know, I'll read the Bible when I get like five minutes before I, and I'll just fall asleep before I even read it at all. And we just put it off. We don't look at it as important and as a priority. And then we wonder why our theology is so, so shallow. And we have no idea who even our Savior is. Therefore, if someone asks you, what do you believe? Well, uh, the gospel. What's the gospel? Well, uh, I don't really know. That's scary. We need to know the true God of the Bible so then we're not deceived by false teaching. If we do not know God's law, if we do not know his holiness, his wrath and his justice, and we have no idea of, of hell and sin, then why is grace sweet and beautiful to you? Why do we need the Savior? 1 Peter 1, 15-16 says, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Don't look at your reading of your scripture and praying or, or gathering with other brothers and sisters in Christ as, I have to read. <laughs> I have to pray. I have to go to church. If I don't, then, then I'm not saved. Or if I don't, then... Uh, you know, God's going to be mad at me. We need to understand that it is a privilege to be able to dig into the truth. It is a privilege to be able to, to pray all the day long, to, to pray without ceasing, or yeah, pray without ceasing. I think I said that right, but to pray all the time, to pray for others, to have communion all day with, with God, to gather with other believers and to share the truth with others. We need to look at that as something that, that creates joy in us. You want to hear from God, get in the Word. Spend time with Him. Know what you believe and why. Then you'll be better equipped to share the gospel with other people, which we're commanded to do. So due to Christ, who is the only innocent and righteous one, He fulfilled the law perfectly so you can wake up, and as Psalm 5.3 says, off the top of my head, in the morning you will hear my voice and I, I will praise you. It was something along those lines. In the morning you will hear my voice. So every morning when you wake up, look at the Word of God more important than your daily bread. That you want to hear from Him. That you want to spend time with Him. And you get to do that. Okay? You get to do that. It's a privilege. And so he fulfilled the law perfectly. Jesus took the wrath for sin, died and rose again. Therefore, you can, you get to spend time with him and you are forgiven. You are a child of God. You are in Christ. You have been reconciled to God the Father. You are made right in the sight um, of, of him. Because instead of seeing your mess, you are imputed Christ righteousness and you are saved due to him loving you first so with the way we live let's love him back let's live for him as a living sacrifice let's deny ourselves take up our cross and live our lives as a thank offering and share the best news you could ever share with anybody sharing the truth and love the gospel um 
to close, I want to give you three, three points. Chuck Smidoli, he said, A life lived without Christ leads to emptiness. There's no amount of sin that will fulfill you. Philippians 3, 11 to 13. We who are in Christ, we can be content. Paul says, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Keeping the eternal perspective is what we must do. We must uh, remind ourselves of that of the gospel truth. Therefore, we can still, even though we may be mourning, full of tears, we can still have joy even during that because of the eternal hope. Number two, you must come to the cross and acknowledge that you're a sinner and that the Savior died for you and rose again. Your relationship with Christ as your Lord and Savior must be your own. You don't get to heaven because someone paid a, says one of your family members paid the fine because they were a believer. You're not accredited your wife's faith. You're not accredited your husband's faith or your grandpa's faith or whoever's faith. It must be your own relationship with Jesus. Number three, the life centered on the flesh is a selfish life all about self. You will be a miserable, unfulfilled wretch with no hope. And number four, a life lived with the Holy Spirit in control every day reminds you when you wake up, you're reminded of the grace of God. Amazing grace keeps us humble and sets the wretch free. Obedience is a process of sanctification. Obedience is not your justification. Your obedience is not what has made you right with God. It's four things. Election, justification, sanctification, and glorification. How I long for glorification so I can be rid of my sinful flesh, no longer struggle and wrestle against it. I desire to be freed of my sin. To be free of it. I, I look in the, I, don't, I don't have to go anywhere else to see a sinner. Every morning I wake up, I see myself. I see myself in the mirror and I know that you are a wretch. You are a sinner. You have fallen short. But all the while reminding myself it is by grace that I have been saved. The grace of God is greater than my sin. And I desire to be freed from it. I desire to see Jesus face to face, to behold the radiance of his glory and to finally be home where I belong, to be home again uh, with uh, complete fulfillment and complete joy and to not have to fear my own sin, to not have to fear that, to not have to fear even maybe someone else's sin against me, How I long for that. Yet until then, until glorification, we are justified by Christ and we are being sanctified. And until then, there's the top two desires of every Christian to desire to be with Christ. But until then, we will live for Christ. Okay, Philippians 121 to live is Christ to live is Christ. Until our service is finished 
and then to die is gain. And we will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. So to close, I want to share with you a, uh, a quick picture. So you see this picture. It's titled Waiting for the Verdict. Charles Spurgeon uh, said, what, is, what interest is displayed on every face? What fear and trembling upon the countenance of the prisoner? And his wife, if you look at his wife and the friends around him, you see all of this restlessness and anxiety. And look at him, he looks like he's full of despair. And they're waiting for the verdict. It's a sad picture. But what can be drawn out of this is we too are in that same position before we have been in Christ. And when you're in Christ, the prisoner is acquitted. You are forgiven. Oh, what joy that that Christ came in and paid your fine in full. It is finished. It is not possible to bring in a verdict of non-guilty for you and I. We are guilty. But due to Christ, we are free. Um, And due to the substitution and divine grace, the just verdict, um, it's no more. It's no more. Instead of having to pay for your sins, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, for those who are in Christ Jesus. In Christ, for Christ, and with Christ, now and forever. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we come before you as we, we've fallen short. We missed the mark. We are sinners. But for those who are in you, Jesus, we, we are sinners that have been saved by grace through faith, through what you have done for us. And we can rejoice through trials and through hard times because we know that, that there is eternal hope and that you paid it all. You paid it all. And, and one day at a time that, that we can remind ourselves it's nothing but the blood of Jesus. It's nothing but your perfect life that you fulfilled the law. You fulfilled the law. You, you were hung on the tree and you drank God's wrath. You drank the cup of wrath for us so we can walk free. So that we can know that we are forgiven and Three days later, after you gave your life to pay for the sin of the world, three days later, you rose again. And since you are alive, we are not without hope, but we have eternal hope. And we praise you for loving us first. For those that are in Christ, help us to live for you. And one day we will rejoice when we get to be with you fully. In Jesus' name, amen.